There we go. Good morning. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Daily Drop-In. We are celebrating today. It's Tuesday, September 28th. We've had no tech issues. We've had technology issues for the last few days. And today, at least to get started, just spun and spun and spun. But we are live. We are streaming on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. And we are thrilled, more than thrilled, to be a part of each and every one of your mornings. Thank you to those of you who are tuning in live with us at 7 a.m. Eastern. We have so much people to share with you. We'll not only start, obviously, with a morning cheers to welcome in the incredible day we have ahead of us, but we have incredible conversation headed our way as well, all around this theme of questioning and everything else in between. So we'll be right back to welcome in our incredible guest time. I'm so, so excited to chat with you today. And for all of you that are just popping in, getting started, feel free to share your good morning messages in our comments and share this feed so your friends and family also can tune in and be a part of the fun. So we'll be right back. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to the Daily Drop-In. It is 7 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Central, 5 a.m. Mountain Time, which is relevant to Tom. And we are getting started here bright and early. Tom, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic this morning. I've got one hour to the good when we originally scheduled to be on. I thought it was going to be 4 a.m. Pacific at home, but I'm in Billings, Montana, and uh, I got an hour to the good. So feeling good this morning. Yeah, great to be with you, Ray. Thanks so much for inviting me. Oh, it's going to be such a fun conversation. I was thrilled to hear that too. When you popped on, you're like, oh, I have an hour, you know, I'm living in mountain time right now. I'm like, oh, good. Just, you know, you got to sleep in a little bit. You got to kind of get ready for your day. Obviously traveling is its own hurdles, but fun to be in Montana. I'm sure we'll want, love to hear about all that. We are so excited to have you specifically on the show this week, because I know that we're going to be able to have such good dialogue around a topic that you are very passionate about. So it's truly Truly, truly an honor to be here. For people to um, maybe, maybe haven't connected with you in the past, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, the work you do, kind of all that fun? Okay. So, yeah, you know, I've been in education for 30 years. I started teaching in 1991. I was a, a teacher for seven years, a school administrator for 11 years, and I worked in a central office position for two years. And after 20 years in the school system, uh, my first book was published in 2011, my first book around assessment. Uh, resigned from my position at the district level. And for the last 10 years, I've been working as an author, a speaker, a consultant, uh, published six, uh, six books in the area of assessment. And uh, it's, as you say, Ray, it's a topic that is uh, a passion for me in terms of uh, how we strategically utilize questions. So uh, that's been a big part of my life uh, for at least 17 years of my career. I've been immersed in this assessment work. So uh, that's a big part of, of what I'm what I'm doing and 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 where why I'm on the road. <laughs> I was gonna say, is that what led you to Montana? Because I have not been to Montana. It's on the list. So what brought you there? Are you working with uh, a team? Yeah. Yeah, I'm working with uh, schools. I was actually working in Wyoming. So I had uh, not only did I fly into Billings, but I had to drive two hours down to Grable, Wyoming. And this is just the third of a trip I've been away since last Monday. Uh, worked in Arkansas and in, in uh, Hot Springs, Arkansas for a couple of days, uh, Huntsville, Alabama, 
uh, did a virtual training on Friday, ironically, with a school that is 20 minutes from where I live, but I was in Alabama because I couldn't fly home to train. It was originally supposed to be a Zoom meeting. Spent the weekend in Salt Lake City, flew to Billings on Sunday, drove to Grable yesterday, drove back to Billings today. I'll fly home to Vancouver this morning. So that is pre-pandemic and now com coming sort of, I don't want to say post-pandemic, but things are getting back to normal. And that's a pretty normal kind of week or week and a half for me. I just say, Tom, when people hear that you're traveling all over, I feel like there's either two reactions. One is, oh my gosh, that's so stinking cool. He's been all over. He's doing so much good, good work. He's impacting so many educators. It's so fun to be able to see new places. And then there's the other side where it's like, oh my gosh, he's living out of a suitcase. That must yeah. be so much hassle. You probably don't <laughs> even know what city you're in. Kind yeah. of where do you land this morning? Where's the feelings at? Well, I'm really excited to be back out with people. You know, I, it was 481 days between road trips. So I March 13th, 2020 was my last trip. And then July 7th of 2021 was the first time I'd set foot on a plane. Um, you know, living in Canada, crossing the border was a little bit more challenging because of the testing and quarantine requirements. But when those were lifted, so returning to Canada as of July uh, 5th, if you're fully vaccinated, you don't have to quarantine. So that opened up travel for me. I still have to get COVID testing to him uh, crossing the border, which is fine. And uh, But I, I land on, I'm excited to be back out here. I love the work I do. I love working with people face to face. I, I love being in new cities. And, and yes, sometimes it's really cool. Sometimes you get to work with an elementary school in Honolulu and you might throw in a few extra days there to just hang out. And then sometimes you're staying in a small little motel in Grable, Wyoming, where you're not sure what era the the bedspread and the pillows are from, and you just kind of take the yin with the yang, and that's just life on the road. That's the way it is. You take the good with the bad. There's Hawaii, and then there's being snowed in at O'Hare and missing your connection and all of those different things. So you know, I take I it. It's all good. I do have to say, though, if you ever miss your um, your flight at O'Hare, I'm only like 30 minutes from you. So I would be happy to to help out in any way possible. But Perfect. I understand, you know, it, there's life on the road is, is not easy, but obviously a big blessing that you're able to not only travel safely now, but also keep impacting schools. You know, you and I have only recently connected. You've been very, very, very active in the Teach Better family. And I've always enjoyed being in whether it be a mastermind or any sort of training or meeting with you because you are are constantly being, at least I've perceived you as a learner. And I find it so fascinating that people pay you to go out and teach them these incredible topics. And yet every time I've seen you, you're asking questions, wanting to learn, building relationships. I just think you must have this wonderful balance of obviously always being willing to share, but truly seeing this as a as a growth development process, which I really value about every time we've been able to connect. How did you get connected to the team? Do you mind sharing that a little bit? Well, my connection came through Josh, uh, Josh Damper. And and uh, and I was doing a, a last January and February, I was doing a, a workshop for his school district, uh, Frisco uh, ISD in, in Texas. And I was uh, facilitating a workshop on my book, Grading from the Inside Out. And and Josh kind of connected and and uh, we we had connected about some questions. We were chatting about the workshop and I and I was the one that asked the question, hey, what's the story behind the uh, podcast network? What's that all about? Because I had just, you know, like 4000 other people had started a podcast during quarantine and during the pandemic. 
So, you know, what do you do? You start a podcast. Uh, so, you know, I, I was curious about what the network was all about and certainly was uh, excited to hear about it. And uh, so Josh said, would you ever be interested in joining the network? And I said, well, I don't really know what that's all about, but uh, sure, why not? And uh, next thing you know, uh, here we are. So uh, I, I was excited because uh, it's great to connect with people in the network, like, like yourself and Josh and, and every all of the other podcasters on the network. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how it came about. It was Joshua Stamper and uh, uh, excited for Josh and his new book that's come out uh, just recently too. So very excited for him and happy for him on that. So that's how I got connected. And uh, I, I appreciate that, Ray, because I, I always enjoy, uh, you know, being in the space with all of the Teach Better uh, uh, network and, and family. I really appreciate the seriousness and yet the fun that comes with there's You work hard, you play hard, you have fun, and, and that's what life is all about. I love it. No, it's been wonderful welcoming you into not only the podcast network, but now so many other avenues that you've been able to get involved in with the team. I know we're constantly, you know, in this community of, sharing and learning and and asking questions and fostering deep discussion and i i just so value that you're a part of that now we have a ton of podcasters and teach better family members in the comments this morning so good morning to brad brianne debbie sandra it's so good to see all of you i know there's so many others that are able to tune in this morning we love being able to start the day with a little bit of fun positivity some good storytelling it is tuesday september 28th and we have a lot in store for you. Um, one of which is that we are going to start off our morning on this Tuesday with our brainstorm bank segment. We're able to take questions from the audience, foster some discussion around our weekly theme, and then we will conclude our show with some good news, which Tom, I have some good news I think is going to interest you. So I'm very Thanks. excited. Well, I picked it special <laughs> for you. I thought this would be really good to discuss. So good morning, Patty, jumping in. We're going to transition here very quickly to our brainstorm bank, kind of get into some educational dialogue, discuss questioning to a little bit deeper extent and try and get each one of you who's tuning in this morning, some good food for thought around this concept. So we'll be right back. Good morning, everyone. You know how our brainstorm bank works. We, you can head over to teachbetter.com slash daily drop-in or teachbetter.com slash brainstorm bank. Submit your questions if they ever come at a time where we are not physically or uh, even virtually all together. You can just submit your question anytime you would like in the middle of your day or maybe the tail end as you're heading into the evening. And we are more than welcome, more than happy to talk through your questions live. We are also obviously taking questions live in the comments. So if anything sparks an interest or you have something you want to discuss, that's why we're here. Tom, you have done so much work in the space of questioning and assessment. And I love that these two concepts actually go together so beautifully. I'd love to dive into that. The theme this week is all about being better at understanding the power and the art of asking questions. And these can be questions student to student, peer to peer, uh, stakeholder to teacher. I mean, we're going to go through the whole gamut. So can you first start out with um, why this was a topic that you have committed so much of your professional career to? Well, certainly, uh, it, you know, questioning and the, the larger expansive topic of assessment. I mean, quest questioning is what teachers do most often. I mean, when you take a, take the most, you know, 
the widest lens and you think about what do teachers do on a daily basis, we often ask our students questions. And yet sometimes our questions are asked with the intent of simply eliciting a correct answer from a student. And we really can use questions to generate assessment evidence that allows us to make instructional maneuvers in real time. You know, for me, assessment really is the engine that drives so much of what we do in school. It's hard to make decisions about interventions. It's hard to, you know, from a UDL or a, and then to a differentiation perspective to support multilingual learners. To, everything that we do in school is driven by making decisions based on the evidence we gather. And so we have to make sure that any evidence we gather, and that evidence need not be formal. It can also be quite informal. But any evidence we gather really does lead to decisions we make about what's next for a learner, what interventions are necessary, how to support that learner going forward. So for me, uh, the, the curiosity around assessment, you know, came to a place where for, I just recognized that it drives so much of what we do and, and being assessment literate. In other words, understanding the principles of sound assessment driven by questions that we ask and the artful way that we utilize questions can really help us make uh, more precise and more on-point decisions. And then you expand into the idea of asking questions that are metacognitive. So asking students to think about their own thinking, and then you think about the notion of using questions as a form of feedback. And pretty soon you realize that the power of questions is quite expansive uh, and, and something that we continue to refine as educators. You know, it's so interesting, Tom, when I think of the words assessment and questions, right, bright and early on a Tuesday morning, I'm thinking, okay, assessment, that's the test I'm giving at the end of the unit and questions, those are the questions I'm asking on this assessment. And yet yeah. your evaluation of all these different ways that they ebb and flow into our daily life, I think is one of the most important concepts we can bring to light throughout this week is not just the skill of being able to craft a beautiful formative or summative assessment, but truly yeah. how day to day, the way you interact with your students, the way that you speak to them, the, the, the questions that you pose to them can not only get you data on how you're going to teach or instruct, but actually how you're going to engage with the learner at, you know, holistically, which I find to be right. so interesting and a topic that we have not yet do you know, dived into yet. So I'm so thrilled that we were able to to get into that this morning, you know, is this something that you found a passion in early on in your career? Did this develop over time? Why is this something that that you think is so important for educators to consider and something truly that you've committed yeah. a good chunk of your career to? Not, not, not early in my career, absolutely not, without spending too much time on the autobiography. But I started teaching in 1991. I was a high school history, uh, history teacher. And if you can think of every stereotypical thing about a high school history teacher. I embodied that. Uh, I was the punitive grader. I was, you know, multiple choice tests. And no one, let's be clear here, top of the food chain when it comes to multiple choice, high school history. The rest of you can fight it out for second place. We can multiple choice anything, right? I was the zero guy, the late penalty guy, the I, I, everything that I do not embody today, I was, you know, 180 degrees from that. So mm -hmm. 13 years of my career as a traditional kind of teacher, things began to fade a little bit as, you know, I gained experience, et cetera. But about 2003, 2004, that school year was when I'd finally reached a bit of a, I, you know, look, I don't want to be hyperbolic about it, but I reached a bit of a point where I thought I can't keep doing this. I can't keep coming into a classroom, 
put it, you know, presenting information and, and then hoping they learn and not being able to do anything about it if they don't. So what's going on in our edu- what's going on in education? What's going on in our industry that that I need to pay attention to? Late 90s, early 2000s, we had this renaissance in assessment practices. So my timing was perfect. And, you know, one thing led to another. I just became curious about the power of assessment. So for the last 17 years, you know, I immersed myself. And what I quickly realized was that understanding the principles of sound assessment practices, I think, is the most efficient and effective professional investment any teacher can make. It touches everything we do, as I said earlier. So understanding those principles allows us to, you know, utilize questions for instructional purposes, design sound assessments if it is a summative purpose. It allows us to to manufacture opportunities for students, as I said earlier, to be metacognitive. Uh, It allows us to sort of assess 21st century skills, if it's critical thinking, if it's collaborative thinking. Once you understand assessment, it it, it has reach into almost everything we do. So my curiosity about assessment, just as I had some early success in my classroom, I just kept exploring. And, you know, a number of years later, I I wrote a book about it. and, And next thing you know, as, the, as the, the cliche goes, the rest is history. And and here I sit in Billings, Montana with, with Ray. I love it. You know, it's really <laughs> funny. Um, today, we before we came live, we were talking about how uh, today is Ask a Stupid Question Day. And we were like laughing at the fact that, of course, this landed during this week when this was our theme. Um, but I'm going to ask a stupid question because I truly love to promise our audience that I will ask all the silly questions that, you know, we are thinking as we're going through our our learning process anytime we're discussing something on daily drop-in how do you define assessment oh it's it's assessment is both simple and complex the the definition of it is very simple assessment is the gathering of information about student learning yeah that's it that's it anytime you gather information about student learning you are assessing Mm -hmm. and 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 the complexity is in the design in making sure, you know, my timing, do I, is my question a good question? Is it, a, is it an appropriate prompt? Have I, have I elicited the evidence I need to make decisions? So the complexity comes in the execution. The simplicity is in the definition. You know, assessment just means to gather information about student learning. That information need not be tangible, right? So I can ask a question in the middle of a lesson to verify that my students are still with me. That, that is one of the fundamental questions any teacher should ask themselves in the middle of every lesson, which is how do I know the kids are still learning? How do I know they're still with me? How do I know that they haven't switched off the narrative in their minds? And so what Dylan William calls a hinge question, a a, a question or a series of questions right at a pivotal moment in the middle of a lesson allows you to gauge whether or not you need to deepen their understanding or whether you can, can accelerate the lesson. So that's the power of questioning is being able to be strategic about it and being able to plant that question at, at that pivotal moment so that I can at least verify at that moment that my students have learned so far and that they're with me so far and that I can continue to deepen their understanding or do I need to go back? Do I need to go back and cover something else? You know, just plowing through that lesson and not knowing is that is the real sort of promise of, of formative assessment at its most organic nature. It's not about spreadsheets and data. It's about gathering information so that I can make an instructional maneuver, what my colleagues and I call being instructionally agile, making those maneuvers. So yeah, that's assessment, gathering information about student learning. So if I'm an educator and I'm hearing these these pieces this morning and I'm saying, okay, 
I, I love this concept that, that I've never truly thought about where I need to strategically plant questions within my lessons. And mm-hmm. I'm going to go teach a mini lesson this morning to my students at the beginning of the class hour. How do I make those strategic decisions? Is it something that, I mean, obviously you do training on this, this is something yeah. that you've written multiple books on. Where does the beginning of that process go and how do I make sure that I'm strategically planning not only a question, but the right question and I know what to do with that data? Because that's where I feel like the meat of this conversation exists. Absolutely. So you begin with a general framework, I would suggest, is sort of a three-step process. Okay. The first question, in advance of any lesson, ask yourself, what are the typical misunderstandings that emerge when I teach this concept? So have in your mind this notion of, you know, there are certain things that students initially misunderstand when I teach this lesson. I remember when I taught eighth grade math, uh, when I taught, for example, equivalent fractions, initially some students thought reciprocal fractions were equivalent fractions. And so I have that in my mind, right? So step one is, what are the most common misunderstandings that emerge typically when I teach this lesson? And then the second question, this is the key, how will I know if any of those misunderstandings are emerging? That's the assessment question, right? That's where we think, okay, where is the right time for me to check whether or not that those are emerging? And then the third question is, what will I do in response if one or more of those uh, you know, misunderstandings is emerging? So, so that's, that's the plan. This can be as informal or as formal. I think if you simply teach with the awareness of those misunderstandings in a very informal way, you're, you're already sort of ahead of the curve, if you will. Um, it's, it's not about being ahead of other people, but you know what I mean? Like you, you're already in a place where your level of awareness in the classroom, and this is, this is the point, we, we wanna teach with an assessment lens or assessment mindset. Every move the students make in class is information that can help you. It, whether it's a response, whether it's their body language, whether it's a facial expression, you know, paralinguistic patterns, whether, you know, all of these things help us understand where students are. So I I then think about where's the right time. So getting back to the question, where's that right time? And then I formulate a question to gather the evidence I need. Now, typically, a mid-lesson question, you have to think about time. So a lot of times, a a mid-lesson question will often utilize selected response because it's, it's fairly rapid for the students to respond, and it's quick for you to consume, and you have to make that adjustment. So for example, if you use like an an exit ticket mid-lesson, it takes long to consume that. So you have to be thoughtful about how you design it. So those hinge questions are often most effective when they are those foundational pieces so that you can utilize selected response, whether it's a four corners activity or some sort of clickers or, or Kahoot or anything like that, that can help you know where the students are. You know, there's a lot of different layers of what you shared. One of the ones I want to initially focus on is the concept of consumption. This is consistently something that I don't know that I articulate well, but it's something that I find to be exceptionally important related to questioning, but really just so many different elements of teaching is how quickly and easily the teacher can collect something, understand what they've collected and make a decision based off of that based off of that data, which I love that you've labeled that as consumption. It's so spot on. That is a hard skill to teach someone. And even with student conferencing, I think that's where I struggle, where you really find the difference between a teacher that's strong in student conferencing versus has growth to, to be made within student conferencing 
is them knowing what questions to ask to get the information they need as quickly as possible to then make decisions, which is not easy to do at all. The, the, the key for me is to what I continue to work with teachers is to say, listen, not all evidence you gather has to be tangible. It's not about collecting. If I formulate a question that has students deeply reflecting on a particular concept that I've taught, put them into groups of four. One of the most underutilized formative assessment strategies is engineering conversations amongst students. Give them a prompt, have them talk about their learning because that that in the, it helps in many ways because you know for students who struggle with written output, being able to talk about their learning for students actually deepens their understanding and they gain access to other students' ideas. Now, as a teacher, if I circulate around the room, I start to listen for those misunderstandings. I listen to this group, I listen to that group, and I circulate around the room. And as I keep hearing a theme of misunderstanding emerging, that's my cue to say, all right, let's stop, let's go back. I make the instructional maneuver based on the evidence I've gathered. So I think mm -hmm. the first step is to realize that there is both an informal and formal approach to formative assessment. And I think what gets underutilized, partially because we've been so stuck on electronic grade books and spreadsheets and quantifying, almost over quantifying everything for, for students, that if we can get to a place where we recognize that I, I can just listen in on these conversations and that will tell me whether or not they're still learning, they're on point. I can look at a group across the room that's that's leaning back in their chairs or disengaged with their body language. And I can realize I don't even have to listen to them to know that I need to intervene or something's gone sideways back there. So when you notice those things, you start to realize that everything that happens in your classroom is information that you can use to help guide the next steps in learning. So it doesn't have to be, I use this expression a lot. You know, I use it with feedback. I use it with, with lots of different things. Not every formative assessment has to be so epic. It, it just needs to be, an opportunity for you to gain access to what, what's already in the room, which is what the students are thinking, gain access to their thinking, gain access to where they are, and then make a decision from there. That's teaching. That's assessment as a verb. That's assessment and action. Too often when you hear the word assessment, we often think of assessment as a noun, as a thing that requires me to stop teaching and conduct an assessment as opposed to teaching as assessment, teaching through the lens of assessment. So you get to that place and you'll realize that the information is all there for the taking. We're getting a lot of positive response here this morning in the comments. We're getting some likes over on Facebook, which we always appreciate. And I think that's because there are so many layers to this that you're truly bringing to the surface. This concept that seemingly there's so many different elements of, but one that I've really heard over and over again is the first step to being a strong educator in questioning and assessment is knowing what you don't want to see first, right? Really right, knowing right. where those common misconceptions are or mistakes, because now you know what you're looking for. And I find that as we talk about questioning and assessment, sometimes educators focus too much on the discovery and not on the concept of what they're hoping to be searching for when they ask those questions. Can you just speak to that a little bit further? Yeah, I think sometimes we need to be uh, very intentional, right? And I think, I think if there's one area that we can all refine, including myself, it's the level of precision with, with which we ask the questions. And sometimes, you know, there's the quintessential, okay, talk amongst yourselves, which as a workshop facilitator, we usually do when the, when the tech breaks down. <laughs> 
but we don't want kids just talking amongst themselves. Yeah, sometimes an open prompt is great. You know, what are you thinking right now? What's on your mind? What, do you, what has you curious? That Those are great too. But sometimes we want to be very precise with, with what we're asking. You know, that happens a lot with student reflection, where mm. it's now reflect on your work as opposed to being a little more precise by, you know, asking a different prompt that could be something like, um, you know, if you had a chance to do this again, you know, what would you change? Or, or tell me about a time where you hit a roadblock when you were working on this project. How did you overcome that roadblock? And what does that tell you about yourself as a learner? How do you like to learn? Like being very precise with your questions allows you to gather. Typically, the more precise you are with your prompt, the higher quality the evidence or information you're going to get from students. If you leave the prompt wide open, you're probably going to get a wide range. And that's fine if that's the intent. So Ray, this all begins with purpose. So when we think about assessment mm -hmm. purpose, it drives everything. Why? Why am I asking the questions? Why am I choosing this moment? What is my intent here? Why do I want this information? Once you know that, now you formulate a question that actually gets to what you're thinking about. So sometimes we ask questions and we could be a little bit more refined and, and more precise. And as a workshop facilitator, I'm always trying to refine my prompts for the participants to have conversations at their tables and think about things we've been talking about. And I'm always looking for creative and clever ways to sort of engineer conversations amongst them. But even in a workshop, you know, I ask the question, I circulate around the room, I listen to what they're saying, and it makes me realize I got to stop. I got to go back. Let's go back over that concept again. It's really about being that level of precision that can help you get more higher quality evidence, if you will. Uh, from the students that allows you to make those decisions. You know, it's interesting. I sat in a um, in a teacher evaluation a few years ago with a principal that I so admired. And he was telling me that one of my weakest areas was questioning. And at the time, I was like, oh, I really am working so hard to be a good teacher. I, I definitely want to improve in this area. It was an element that I was being evaluated on year to year. So I knew that I wanted to see growth and development in this art of questioning and the dialogue really focused on asking good questions and therefore giving me starter sentences and and certain words that i should be using in my questioning what i really value about this dialogue that we've had so far is it's not so much about how the question is created of course i'm sure that's very very important long term but more so what the end result is what the data is that you're striving to to collect. And I find that to be such a an easier concept to understand as a teacher, because it's not so much the phrasing of my question and more along the lines of what my long-term vision, what my long-term goal is, what I'm trying to gather from my students so I can make future decisions. Have you heard about this concept of how to phrase a question being a focus? I mean, I, I can't imagine that that's nearly as impactful as knowing what you want out of the question. Impactful, but I, th I would agree with you that uh, that it's not not as impactful. However, we we do need to be mindful about, it. and sometimes we craft questions a little too finite, a little too linear. So if we want, it depends. Again, if my purpose is to get the students thinking, we have to make sure that the students are doing the thinking. So I don't want to ask questions that are that are sort of recall focus based on what I just covered in class. There, there can be a place for that. But if my purpose, this is why I get back to purpose, right? If my purpose is to 
get the students thinking, then they have to be the ones doing the thinking. So I want to ask more open-ended questions. I want to ask questions that maybe have more than one correct answer, where there's a lot of different directions to go, or questions about what strategy would you use to approach this problem, or what other information do you need uh, to, to gather you know, enough evidence or enough information to make a good decision. If you're engaged in an inquiry-based learning experience, right, your curiosity, you want to craft a question that has you exploring not what, but why, and looking at those sort of intellectual depths uh, of, of what you're trying to investigate. So we do have to be mindful of how we phrase the question. But I think once you determine your purpose, I think it's easier, not, not easy, but easier to formulate a question because in the back of your mind, you know why you're asking the question and therefore you're going to craft a question that does exactly what you just thought of as your purpose. So that's where I would begin is know why you're asking the question, what you want out of the question. And then I think the question will, I don't wanna sound flippant because it won't just flow from there because you do have to be mindful about how you craft it, but but it'll help you from that point. You know, Tom, I've heard uh, many times people say you want your students to do the thinking. In terms of questioning, can you give me some examples of questions where the students would not be doing the thinking or would be doing the thinking? What that phrase means to you? Well, first, it means, as I've just mentioned, recall, right? So sometimes we ask, and, and here's you know an interesting thing about assessment, for example, uh, for teachers, is a question format or assessment method is not aligned with depth of thinking or depth of knowledge. Here's what this means. It means that just because I asked the students to write an extended written paragraph answer instead of multiple choice does not mean I'm getting to necessarily greater depths of learning because a paragraph question could be recall, right? So I could ask a question, a paragraph question and say, describe the seven stages of the water cycle. Well, that's recall. That's that's And so just because you put it in a paragraph form, it's actually quite inefficient because I don't know why we're having them write out a paragraph when you could assess that through selected response or anything like that, you know, or I could ask a question where they have to do some thinking. So um, describe what happens uh, to the stage of infiltration during heavy rainfall. Mm -hmm. That's a thinking question, right? I have to think. So who's doing the thinking is, is the most important part. Sometimes you might even think you're having the students do the thinking, but it's actually recall. So for example, we do a, a character analysis out of a novel during class. And I walk my students through this whole process of doing a character analysis. And then on the assessment, I ask them to do an analysis of the same character. That's not analysis, that's recall. Mm -hmm. Give them a different character. Now you're having them do the thinking. So what it means is that the students will have to, <clears throat> excuse me, at some point come up with some level of original thinking. They have to some come up with some level of originality that they don't just have to remember what their teacher said or remember what was in the book, that they actually have to almost formulate or create new knowledge or create new information. There's some level of creativity in that whole notion of, of responding. So sometimes we get fooled into thinking that the assessment format, the question format, is aligned with depth of thinking, right? So I, I don't want to ask multiple choice questions. I'm going to ask a paragraph question because that's that's greater depth of knowledge. That's more academic. But if your question is recall based, you're not you're actually losing time and and almost wasting time. So uh, we want students to do the thinking, and that means they have to create something original. Something. Well, and this goes original. back, if you don't mind, to circling back to this concept of consumption. That that mm -hmm. as you're asking the students to give you a source of information, 
how quickly can you, should you be able to, you know, X, Y, Z, be able to interpret the information. And you're right. If you're going to ask a question that requires then a paragraph that requires then you to consume it in a little bit of a more lengthy manner, then if you're not actually getting that deeper sense of information, it's kind of like wasting your time in some regard, yeah. right? There's a more efficient way to get that same outcome. Makes sense. When it comes to consumption, I think there's, oh, sorry. I think we cut out here. Are you still with me? All right. Hopefully we'll get Tom back here in just a second. Am I frozen? Um, oh, there we go. Here we go, uh -oh. Tom. Um, if you don't mind, okay. I would love I if you would mind sharing what avenues you've seen that are easy for teachers to consume and make decisions on versus the more lengthy options. So your example earlier was an exit slip that might take longer than asking yeah. a really intentional question, depending on what you're looking for for students. Do you mind spitballing a few brain ideas for us? Sure. So there's basically two two ways you think about it mid-lesson, because you have to think about, can I consume it and can I turn this information around in a timely manner? So mid-lesson, that's where we often point to two things. I look at a selected response, kind of multiple choice option, which is very conducive for foundational knowledge. Multiple choice is not great when you need explanation or you need evidence of thinking. So this all comes under the idea of how we design our assessments and then knowing how to ask. So mid-lesson, it's those hinge questions. It could be a four corners activity where I move the students physically or they respond through something like Kahoot. And the other one is the engineering conversations. Have them talk about their learning because you're right, you can't take all that time to consume it mid-lesson. If you need evidence of explanation, evidence of thorough thoroughness, evidence of thinking, then that's what the exit ticket, because the bottom line is this, when I talk about you know, a hinge question, I'm really talking about the assessment method selected response. And then there's constructed response. And that's fundamentally the only two assessment methods we really have. You either choose an answer or you create an answer. Now, once you decide to create an answer, now you're talking about uh, maybe that answer is in an authentic context. And so that's what we would call a performance task, a performance assessment. So it all falls under the umbrella of what is the right method for what I'm assessing? Because that's the magic in assessment is when what I'm assessing and how I gather the evidence are the right fit because assessment methods aren't interchangeable if you want accurate information. So mid-lesson, I have to think about efficiency, which means I'm not going to have them write some lengthy response because that'll take me too long to consume. So think about those hinge questions, multiple choice, four corners. Again, it doesn't have to be a bubble sheet. It'd be all sorts of ways, select a response. End of lesson, now we're talking about an exit ticket because you now have the time to consume it and then make an instructional maneuver. So the downside of an exit slip or exit ticket is the delay between your consumption and the re instructional response. But the upside is you get much more thorough evidence of student thinking. And so you get a deeper understanding of where they are in the learning. Tom, we've been able to dive into so many different pieces today. I knew this would be a good conversation, but I didn't know what our major takeaways were going to be. <laughs> and for me, this focus on being extremely intentional with our questions, knowing where those questions are going to be in our lessons, that was very early on in our dialogue, um, knowing what you want to collect from the students, how you're going to collect that quickly to be able to adjust. That's been such a great conversation. This, this also this concept of consumption. How do you as a teacher quickly collect information? 
What are the pros and cons of having that lag time between the types of questions I'm asking and when I'm able to respond instructionally? There's been so many different pieces here. Obviously, we'll get to some of your, your books here in just a second, but if I'm a teacher and I want to dive further into this concept, yes, there's so many resources and we'll get into those here in just a moment, but what's kind of the first step that I can take in this process when I'm trying to improve my questioning practices? Well, I, I, I think again, you, you have to, it goes back to understanding that purpose. So, so look, take a fresh look at what you typically do and ask yourself, am I clear on why I'm asking this question at this point? Or do I just feel at some point I have to stop talking and I'm throwing a question at my students? Uh, so it's all about intentionality, right? Uh, do I know why I'm asking this question? And then the second question is, does the question itself get to um, the depth of thinking that, I, that I'm trying to elicit from the students? Am I, am I really getting them to that depth of thinking? So the refinement comes, you know, who's doing the thinking? All the things we've kind of talked about are really good places to begin. I guess it depends, uh, for, as a teacher, it depends on their assessment literacy, right? So if they are further along in, in their assessment practices and they understand purpose and they understand assessment design and, and, and how we create sort of a match between what we're assessing and how we're assessing, then they can just start to refine their questions. But if a teacher wasn't clear on those aspects of assessment, then I would probably go back and say, you know, refine your understanding of assessment purpose, because that's the question we should always ask ahead of any uh, assessment or any moment, which is why, you know, why do I want this information? And then from there, we say, okay, how do I choose the right assessment method? And if the right assessment method is instructed response, then is the prompt. If the right assessment method is a hinge question mid-lesson, now I'm thinking multiple choice. So I have to design a question that not only has a correct answer, but it also has three or four, depending on how many you have. And there's no rule, there has to be four, but we often stick to four. But those three choices that are incorrect, you wanna be strategic about that. You wanna make sure that when students choose the wrong answer, you can use it diagnostically, right? So when I said earlier, what are the most common misunderstandings that typically emerge when I teach this lesson? Make those answer A, C, and D so that the correct answer being B, but if a student chooses A, you have a little bit of insight as to what misunderstanding led them to pick A as the correct answer. So this is where being very thoughtful even about those distractors can help you use multiple choice diagnostically. Crafting a good multiple choice question is not that easy because we have to think about what do those incorrect answers tell me about where the learner is. So that's all part of a larger picture, which is building our assessment literacy, our understanding of sound assessment practices. I think it's so funny, Tom, because I know so many educators that would tell you that multiple choice is never an option for assessment. That's such a terrible practice and we shouldn't be using it in classrooms. And we have just spent 41 minutes thus far discussing how that actually can be a very <laughs> intentional strategic opportunity yeah. to collect data from a student, depending on what you're looking to collect and how these options are truly in front of us to us, you know, to, to choose for the taking, we just need to know the why, the intention, the purpose behind right. the decisions we make. And we can constantly be shifting based on what our students are responding to us. So there's so much value there. When I know, you know, people hear that you've written all these books on this, you do professional development constantly, you clearly have obviously the podcast and the podcast network. 
What's the differences between the options I have here to continue to learn from you? And what might be the right avenue for me as I'm maybe connecting with you for the first time of, of what piece of information I might want to engage with first? Is there differences between the books and the podcast that you've been able to put out into the world? Well, certainly there's some overlap, of course. The podcast focuses a little bit more on interviews with with other sort of educators. And I, you know, call in some favors of some friends of mine and get them on and, and reach out to people I've never met before. But the overlap is that my podcast always finishes with a, you know, a 10 to 15 minute segment on assessment. Listeners will send me questions or questions will come up in the trainings I'm doing. And it sparks me to sort of put that segment out. So for example, the episode I put out uh, yesterday, uh, there's the last 10 minutes is all about peer assessment. And it's because it's come up in trainings and people are asking me questions about that. So that's the overlap is that the podcast is not entirely about assessment, but because assessment is an area of expertise for me, it's something that I always incorporate into every episode. Sometimes the guests themselves are assessment experts. And so, you know, I have had folks like Tom Gusky and Rick Warmly and others have been on the podcast and and we've talked, you know, shop. And, you know, it's interesting, Ray, when you talked about uh, uh, multiple choice, it just, it frustrates me that people are just dismissive. Selective response is a valid assessment method. And I think it's really um, short-sighted to just dismiss an assessment method because you don't like the fact that standardized tests utilize it. Every assessment method is valid, but every assessment method has a limitation. So at some point, we've got to let you know, it go, we have to let go of selective response. So sometimes when I work with high schools, I'll say, listen, you can't multiple choice everything. Okay. Now, in fairness to high schools, when I work with elementary schools, I say, listen, you can't rubric everything either. Can we just tone it down? Like you have to be thoughtful about your assessment method and this notion of just dismissing it that it's a, let's just put it this way. Anybody who asserts that we should never use multiple choice and that it's a poor choice as education is misinformed. They, they just don't know what they're talking about. And, and, uh, and I'm sorry to be so blunt about it, but that's just, I think it's irresponsible. If you're in front of people and you, if you have a microphone and you're in front of people and you're saying that, you should not be doing that because that really is, is, is it's irresponsible to tell people something that is simply not true. Anyway, so that's, Thanks for listening. I feel better now. But, Had to get that I off my chest. Uh, but truly, Tom, truly, I think it's wonderful that we're able to bring to light a common misconception because what you've been yeah. able to share with us today is that it it can be a, a bad assessment choice if you don't have the purpose, the intentionality behind mm -hmm. it. But then again, everything can be. Having students write a paper, right. having students write a paragraph, giving them a 40-page question test. I mean, all yeah. of these avenues can be just as detrimental as the other if we don't have that intentionality, that purpose. So you've brought Absolutely. to like so many different concepts, but sorry to interrupt yeah. you. Please okay, no, that's, that's, I appreciate that. And, and uh, I just, I think at some point, you know, assessment gets talked about, uh, you know, one of my, um, you know, I guess pet peeves, if you will, or whatever, is the way that assessment gets talked about on social media. It frustrates me how flippant and uh, exaggerating, hyperbolic, uh, I, I just think that we need to be, everything about assessment is context dependent and nuanced. There are no absolutes in assessment. And yet, if you read Twitter and you read other spaces and you listen about assessment, people are very definitive and absolute. You start a sentence in assessment with the words always or never, you're probably wrong. That's the bottom line because the research is always about nuance and context. And sometimes feedback doesn't work. 
But the way we talk about feedback, it's as if just provide students feedback and you'll have this learning explosion. That's not how it works. It doesn't work that way. And that sets teachers up for frustration because they read someone's Twitter post and they go, oh, I should be having this learning explosion in my classroom. And when that doesn't play out, they start to feel less than because their hero on Twitter was talking about you know, how this is just incredible. And I think, I just think we have to be responsible. Many of us in this work have to be responsible and honest about some of the challenges. Assessment is hard. This is really hard work and it takes a lifetime and a career. I still learn about assessment and this has been my life's work for 17 years. Mm -hmm. And that's a contradiction, life's work for 17 years. Uh, but you know what I mean? I mean, I've been immersed in it mm -hmm. and I'm still learning all the time. And so, yeah. So I guess back to the original question, podcast has the assessment pieces and that overlaps. A lot of the content is reflected in many of the books that I've written or co-authored uh, with, with my colleagues. So. Wonderful. I'm excited for them to check out all the things that you've been able to share. And really, Tom, I know we've been able to kind of just touch on this massive, massive topic, but I think you really summed it up beautifully at the end that assessment is challenging. And sometimes as we begin a process that we're finding hurdle after hurdle after hurdle, it is affirming to hear that it's really hard work. And not only hard work to get good at, but hard work to sustain. It's constantly something that we need to revamp and continue to educate ourselves on the new data, the new practices that are out there, the new conversations that are being had. And I think you really brought to light one of the first initial things that we need to continue to work on. And then also where we can get these other resources, which I very, very much appreciate. We're going to get into our good news segment here real quick as we finish up our conversation on the daily drop-in with Tom Shimmer and we will be right back. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining at the tail end of our daily drop-in conversation. We've had so much good dialogue. And especially if you're jumping in now, do not um, stop here. You definitely need to go back and hear all the conversation we've been able to have. You know, Tom, I think it's so funny that September 28th is Ask a Stupid Question Day. I think we need to challenge our network to go ask a stupid question today. I don't know what constitutes a stupid question, but I feel like I ask them all the time. So I'm not sure if you have that experience or maybe you've come to accept that no question is stupid, but <laughs> truly. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I ask stupid questions all the time and I don't know why it happens, but, uh, you know, questions that are obvious right in front of me, um, you know, where, where, where's my, where's my phone? Where's where I put my phone? It's in my hand, things like that. I mean, I ask stupid questions all the time. It's right on the board. I ask questions of the flight attendants. It's like, yeah, maybe if I read the, uh, the, uh, the boarding card, or if I read the screen, I might've had that information instead of asking it. So it happens to all of us. We, you know, we're busy and, we have to just be gentle on ourselves and not think those questions to be stupid. We're all human, so it happens. Well, I think it's wonderful. If you are trying to find an avenue, a safe space, friends, a safe space to ask a stupid question, <laughs> consider Tom and I great safe space people. You can throw it in the comments right now. Ask a stupid question. It could be related to Tom. We, we you know, Before we went live, we discussed that everything was fair game. So maybe you want to learn what's on Tom's t-shirt or what city he's in. He may not even know right now. Um, maybe a question <laughs> about right. the T-Hunter team or something An educational. You are welcome to ask as many stupid questions as you like in the comments. 
we're not promising we'll answer the stupid questions, but we will get a good chuckle out of them. So feel free right this uh, moment as we're getting into our good news segment <laughs> uh, to post a, a terrible, stupid question. We would love to entertain ourselves at the tail end of our morning to do that. Tom, I think you're going to like our good news story. We really like to share a good news story every single day. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, it's at the tail end of our show. On Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, we do it in the beginning. And what we like is to be able to give some food for thought, maybe something we can bring to our students or it's something that we can um, engage with our colleagues around. But this one I thought was inter interesting. I'm not sure if you saw this, but there is a charity that rescues so much food from landfills that uh, it opens a pay-what-you-feel grocery store to share tons of produce. So in Vancouver, huh? in go. Vancouver, a new supermarket is opening um, specifically to get unwanted food and produce into the hands of people who need it or want it, thereby sparing it from being dumped in a landfill. So that's called the Food Stash Foundation's Rescue Food Market has opened its doors officially on October 1st. So it's not yet open, but it's opening nope. this week. And um, it is open for three hours a day. It's a surplus of produce and food, and it's available for anyone, regardless of their financial um, uh, position that they are in. They're trying to do a number of different things, but specifically noting the pay what you feel rather than pay what you can basis to ensure that there is a little... Um, opportunity here for the shoppers to really engage with the work being done. There's a beautiful article here in the Good News Network that's going through not only the opportunity we have to use the products that we are creating, but also making sure that we are giving back to communities and people that really are going to benefit from this incredible opportunity. So I thought of you when I saw this, because this is right in Vancouver. I think you've been a few times. <laughs> yes, I live in Vancouver, uh, the metro area anyway, and it doesn't surprise me. I mean, I didn't know about the story, but uh, certainly knowing uh, where I lived and, and where I live and where I grew up and, and just, you know, all, the west coast of Canada uh, doesn't, you know, it's very environmentally aware, very, uh, uh, very in tune with those types of needs. It's, it's part of the culture, uh, you know, the small C culture uh, of where I live, you know. Vancouver, a lot of Lululemon, uh, a lot of recycling, a lot of repurposing, uh, all of those different things. So uh, uh, you get the yin and the yang of, of, of that. So, but uh, certainly what a wonder, wonderful idea. I mean, that's, uh, you know, the things that people think of or think are even possible, uh, that's themselves asking themselves a question. What if we were able to harvest produce? And, you know, we ask ourselves, there's another power, ask yourself questions about, you know, getting back to the theme of today. So just, uh, that's a that's a really inspiring idea. Love it. Well, and the hope would be with these articles, whether it sparks some positivity, you know, some hope, some excitement within ourselves, hearing these bright and early in the morning on the daily drop-in, or choosing to bring these types of articles, these types of topics to our students at the start of a lesson or at the end of the day and, and fostering some conversation. There's a lot of questions that you can begin asking to spark deep thinking and dialogue within your student body, looking at a, a foundation that is exploring the work of not only food consumption, but also supporting all types of people, regardless of their financial situation. And you know how that can then go into other 
types of dialogue that you can foster in your classroom. It's always nice to be able to, to bring those true real world experiences into this conversation that your students could be having. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's wonderful. It's, it, it really does. Uh, yeah. I feel a little inspired and I have to say, I feel a little bit of pride that it's in Vancouver. Um, you know, we as Canadians, uh, one of the most obnoxious things about us as Canadians, if anything, if anyone is famous or anything great happens in Canada, we'll make sure that you know about it. So we kind of claim ownership over it. Famous actors, famous musicians, we'll always remind you that they're Canadian. And, yes. and you, you, you don't do that. Americans never do that. Americans never say, oh, have you heard about Denzel Washington? He's American, you know. You, you never do that, but we do that. We always say, you know, uh, Ryan Reynolds, Canadian. We just take, we somehow lay claim to it and it's, uh, we'll make sure, you know, it's, it's one of the things about Canadians, that and the fact that we're super passive aggressive. That's the other part that you have to watch out for if you come to Canada. You know, I I have heard that. I think I need to surround myself with more Canadians because I've heard a lot of these pieces, you know, I get live all the time. Obviously you get to host the the daily drop in with Brad every week. I, Tom, I just think you fit in wonderfully. We love this north america you know like blending of u.s and Canadian, uh guests here so tom i want to thank you so much for joining the daily drop and i know it was bright and early for you you're traveling you have a lot going on in your life and we appreciate that you took an hour to spend it with obviously your teach better family you've been in the network for so long and we just want to continue to foster the connections within our network that's kind of the beauty of the teach better team is not only being able to learn from each other but truly connect and build relationships with each other. So I'm excited and eager for our network to continue connecting with you. And thank you so much for, for joining the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Ray, it was a pleasure. And and uh, certainly to anyone out there, if uh, there's anything I can do to help support you in your work, just reach out. I'm easy to find on social media and and all the other, and through the network as well. So it, it was a pleasure and I'd look forward to doing it again uh, anytime. So anytime you want to do this again, Ray, you just let me know and I'm in. I appreciate that time. You're the best. For everyone else, we wish you a wonderful and absolutely outstanding Tuesday, September 28th. We hope you enjoy your last sip of coffee as you head into one of the best Tuesdays that you've ever had. And if you need anything, we are always here to help, whether you reach out to a guest on the Daily Drop-In or a member of the Teach Better family or a member of the Teach Better team. We are here to brainstorm with you talk shop with you and make sure that you are getting everything you need to be successful throughout your day. So thank you for all that you do. And we'll see you again tomorrow morning on the daily drop-in at 7am Eastern. All right. Bye guys.